Thanks, Chelsea. Okay, so I'm going to be doing a podcast on the impact of childhood trauma and adult, on adult relationships. Hopefully this is good. Here we go. Welcome everyone to this episode of The Puzzle of Us. My name is Spencer Dutson. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified emotionally focused couples therapist, and trained in EMDR. I'm really excited for you to be joining us, well, specifically me today, to be able to talk about a topic that is very dear to me. This topic is the impact of childhood trauma on adult relationships. Now, as I was thinking about this topic and how to prepare for it, I recognize the um, kind of intensity of it, if that makes sense, and how you as the listener might be coming to this episode specifically, that maybe you've experienced childhood trauma in your past that weighs you down in a significant way, and maybe you're hoping to get some hope today. Um, maybe you know someone that you care about who's experienced childhood trauma that you want to better know how to support and help them. And maybe you suspect something has happened to you, but aren't really sure what that might mean or how to really address it or give space for it. So above all, my hope today is that as you join with me, that I'm able to be mindful of those experiences that you've had in your past and why you're coming here today. Please recognize this in the um, potentially triggering nature of what we're going to be talking about. I'm obviously not going to go into you know, hopefully huge triggering details that will be hard for people to hear. Um, but do know that if while you're listening to this episode that you find yourself becoming emotionally dysregulated or really distressed in some way, to give yourself permission to step aside for a bit, to let yourself just kind of get some space, if that makes sense. And one thing that I want to even just give us a chance to just cover real quick to help you with that in this process and that will help you if you do struggle with trauma in any way is what I call a container, okay? So let me just guide you through this real quick and then we'll really get into today's podcast. So a container is somewhere where you can put your past or put your reactive stuff that's coming up for you now so that it doesn't overwhelm you in this moment. It's very common that when we go through hard things that we push it away, right? We bottle it up and bury it as deep as we can, but it always comes back. And so this container is like that, but it's giving yourself a way to kind of put it away while also honoring the experience that you've had in the past and or that you're having in the present so that you can deal with it later. And that's the key. We're putting it away so we can deal with it later. So I hope you can keep that to heart here. So take a moment to, and you don't have to close your eyes for this, but just imagine, where can I put my stuff, right? For me personally, I imagine like one of those old school safes, right? That you see in like a bank, right? Where it's got that big wheel, right? With little knobs, kind of looks like a, I guess like a steering wheel for an old school like pirate boat, right? Uh, and it's just huge, massive and super secure. That's where I imagine putting my stuff. But for you, you might have something else that maybe is more significant to you. Maybe it's like a cedar chest. Uh, maybe it's a safe that you have under your bed. Maybe it's a box that you put in the closet. Could be anything. But remember, it's a place where we put the memories or the experiences that we're having to honor them. So please don't think of something that's going to destroy it, like a volcano or something like that. Think of a place where you can put it to honor it, okay? I'll give you a moment to just think what that is. And pause the episode if you need some more time to. So hopefully you've been able to think about something by now. With that thing identified, and I would invite you to close your eyes if that feels okay to you right now. And if you're in a safe place where you can do that, please don't do this while driving. Close your eyes and allow yourself to imagine that container. As you imagine that in as much detail as you can, imagine maybe something today that's happened to you that feels a little bit hard. And imagine it as if it's a picture that you're holding in your hands. Really get that picture. And with that picture, I want you to go through the steps in your mind of how you would put that thing in your container. Imagine that in as much detail as you can right now. 
make sure that you imagine it being put away, that your container closes somehow. Imagine your container sealing up, right? Like it, it gets locked, or maybe we have to solder the edges around it or something like that. Is it gone? Is it contained? Now imagine walking away from that container, leaving it where it is. Just take a moment to walk away from it though it's no longer in your mind anymore. And again, pause the podcast if you need to spend some extra time doing this, just to practice it. Okay, so if stuff comes up for you today, pause, use that as a way to kind of contain it, right? So you can deal with it later. And then come back to the podcast because I have so many great things that I'm excited to share with you today. So again, the topic I'm going to be covering today is the impact of childhood trauma on our adult relationships. Now, this topic is important because, you know, everyone in my mind has gone through something that's hard. And most likely it has something to do with when you were a kid. Now, childhood is somewhat subjective, right? Childhood trauma is typically referred, referring to experiences that happen really between zero and whatever you define as teenage years. But it could be anything that has happened after, during teenage years as well, but more specifically before those teenage years, right? Kind of like zero to like 12, if you will, okay? And so when I think about trauma, remember that trauma is usually a, a big word, right? And it's usually associated with big things like death, and military service, and um, life-threatening or life-changing experiences. I want to define trauma, though, as anything in your past that's been difficult to manage that you still feel like impacts you today. So again, in that sense, I think everyone has impact, been impacted by childhood trauma in one way or another, even though you might not resonate with the word trauma, okay? That it's these difficult past experiences. But essentially, that's what it is, right? Something that is hard that you experienced as a kid that you still struggle with today. Now, if you went through something hard that you don't struggle with today, that could be for a couple of reasons. Ideally, it's because you dealt with it and you worked through it in a way that it's not having a huge impact on your present, other than being a hard memory. But maybe it's not impacting your present because you don't allow yourself to feel it. You've pushed it down so far that it doesn't really impact things. But that's a kind of like a house of cards, right? Or a glass house where one little thing could happen and that could change in a moment. So be mindful of that. So as we move forward with this, I want to talk a little bit about what are the different types of childhood trauma or past difficult life experiences that you may have experienced that could constitute what I'm talking about here. So there's the obvious things, right? Like physical abuse, um, emotional abuse. Um, there's things like sexual abuse even. But there's also things that are a little bit more nuanced or kind of harder to pin down because they're not so specific, if that makes sense. So one of the big things that I classify in that category would be neglect. So neglect can come in lots of different forms. It can show up as you know a, a physical kind of neglect thing, like not having housing or food, um, safety or security in your home. It can be that kind of neglect. Or it can also be more of an emotional kind of neglect. Um, really good book out there called Running on Empty, um, where the author specifically talks about childhood emotional neglect and how that can impact someone their entire lives, right? And emotional neglect, if I were to summarize it, is basically you know, not having key emotional needs met during childhood and or not having a parent or caregiver who is responsive to your emotions as you needed when you were a kid. So for example, emotional neglect can show up in the form of like, you know, when we're kids, especially like toddlers and we're working through our strong emotions, if you didn't have a parent or a caregiver 
who is responsive to your emotions and aware of your emotions and help you work through them. That could be a, like a, a subtle thing of emotional neglect that can impact you now. Now, with some of these things, like neglect in particular, you know, there's, there's not a specific moment in time that's really traumatic or really hard. It's more the grouping of those things. And so with something like physical abuse, we can very easily pair like, yeah, when this particular thing happened to me physically, that was abusive and that was really traumatic for me. And that's kind of quote unquote easy to identify. With neglect though, you're not going to be able to pick out those individual things, right? You might remember like, yeah, like I didn't have dinner ever growing up. And the individual nights where you didn't have dinner probably aren't like a key memory that you kind of store. But as you maybe group those things up, like, man, that happened over years. That's the traumatic thing, right? And this is what in my work, I call a traumatic theme. It's something that's impactful that maybe doesn't have a key one thing that happened, but when you group them together, it does become traumatic or hard. And in some ways, these traumatic themes are harder to deal with and harder to process because they just aren't as clear cut and as uh, straightforward when it comes to how you experienced it, right? There's so many other things that kind of go into play with that. And so if you're looking at yourself and saying, well, I've never, I wasn't beaten as a child, or you're thinking I wasn't sexually abused as a child, but you think back on your past and you're like, but it was really hard. I would suspect emotional neglect in some way or suspect some type of neglect or just even a lacking that for you was traumatic. Now, remember what defines trauma while the, we have as therapist, this magical book called the DSM-5, which it's not really magical, but it outlines all these disorders, right? post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, trauma in particular, um, really in my mind, what defines trauma is how the brain experiences it, how the body experiences it. So if I go just go through something hard, um, it's how I perceive it that makes it traumatic or not. That me and a sibling could have gone through the same exact childhood and I come out of it with some like PTSD kind of symptoms and they don't. Why is that? Well, there's lots of different reasons, but one of the predominant ones is how we experienced it, right? And then how we processed it later on. So Remember, if you're suspecting stuff, don't discredit your experience just because it wasn't a big, hard thing that kind of happened to you, right? Because it, it all plays together in one way or another. So the prevalence of childhood, childhood trauma is more than you would suspect. I don't have any specific statistics right now that I can share with you, but just, just think about it like this. It's hard to learn how to be an adult. <laughs> it's hard to learn how to navigate our emotions and our experiences. And so my, from my experience now, granted, I work with a biased population because I'm a therapist who specializes in trauma, but when I talk with friends or family members, most people that I talk with have experienced at least one thing from their childhood or teenage years that kind of haunts them a little bit, right? Kind of holds them back in some way. And so in that sense, I would suspect that most people, if not everyone, has gone through something from their childhood that is impactful to them that they either have or haven't dealt with, Okay. Now let's transition here to talk about the lasting effects of childhood trauma. And maybe what are some of those signs in the present that would point to things that you may have experienced in your past? So one of the biggest things to think about with childhood trauma is that it impacts your development and your worldview. So let's talk about development first. So one key element of human development is being able to know how to interact with people. How do we talk to people? How do we um, physically come in contact with people, you know, ranging from things like just normal social cues to body language to um, physical interactions, like what's appropriate culturally, like when it comes to physical contact, right? Like shaking hands versus hugging versus giving someone a solid fist bump, right? Like whatever those things might be. Kids that have experienced trauma are most likely to have some level of impact with that. The most common thing being when the abuse is physical in some way. So physical abuse or sexual abuse, mostly what I'm referring to here, where the interesting thing is that it could spit someone out in two extremes. 
okay? Where they might be very adverse to physical contact. So they don't want any physical contact. It doesn't feel safe, right? Or they're on this other extreme where they almost need an excess of physical contact. Now to the point where it's like problematic, right? So if we talk about like sexual abuse, for example, now, again, everyone's experience is different. So I'm not trying to say that it has to be this way or that way, but here's like an example, okay? Someone who was sexually abused as a kid, oftentimes they find themselves um, very um, kind of against physical, especially sexual contact because of how closely it can be connected to what they experienced as a child. Yet on the same, on the opposite hand, it's possible for someone to almost experience hypersexuality um, related to their trauma, right? So commonly this is seen in early adolescence where if someone was abused physically or sexually as a child, um, in adolescence, they might be um, hypersexual. So having lots of sexual partners, being overly sexually active, um, having engaging in lots of risky sexual behaviors and things like that. And that can continue into adulthood, right? The key message I'm trying to share with you here is that when it comes to how the trauma impacts someone and how it like kind of spits them out in terms of the experience um, later in life is that it can look different, basically. There's no one size fits all. And so again, if you're looking at yourself and thinking, well, I'm my experience isn't like what a, a real trauma, real trauma experience would look like, please don't discredit yourself. If you have gone through hard things in your childhood and you're seeing that present day impact, give that the, the credit it deserves, that you went through something. And more importantly, to with that credit, do something about it to heal, to recognize that you can heal and there is hope. And again, I hope that you guys leave here from this podcast feeling more of that hope. Trauma can impact development in so many other ways that we just don't have time to go into right now. But let's transition a little bit now to maybe talking about worldview, okay? So when we experience trauma or difficult things, especially in our childhood, it impacts the way that our brain develops and specifically how we perceive the world and what feels safe versus not safe, okay? So if I've gone through difficult life experiences, especially significant stuff in my childhood, most likely I'm gonna have a hard time trusting people. I'm gonna have a hard time understanding what safety even means and how to get that. That my day-to-day -day experience might be of heightened anxiety, of not being able to ever get that stability or safety, though I'm trying to do lots of things to maybe get that, right? I'm gonna probably view other people in a generally distrusting kind of way where it's normal to like, you know, not just give out trust freely, right? To let it be earned. But if you've experienced trauma, you might find yourself really just shut off from certain people or certain experiences because of what you've gone through. Now, again, no one size fits all. You might also find yourself on the other extreme where your trust meter is completely gone. You trust everyone for everything. Um, and again, that could be because of how you experience that trauma that for you, you learn that that's just the way I get by. That's the way I survive it, okay? So it can go really a lot of different directions. It can go a lot of different ways when it comes to that worldview and how you experience your trauma. Now, when I think about like some of the common emotional and psychological effects of childhood trauma, again, I, I go to the, the prevalence and the likelihood of someone experiencing mental health stuff later in life such as feeling more anxious, feeling more depressed, that difficulty with trust that I highlighted earlier, and having a susceptibility to experiencing PTSD later in life that's um, kind of connected to other experiences that then compound on itself, right? Because again, trauma impacts the brain and how we view things. Basically, trauma and difficult past childhood experiences create a hyperactive sense of distress, where your brain tells you that there are more things that you need to be scared of and aware of than probably are actually there. I love to give people the example of a fire alarm I had in an old apartment. 
So when I was going to school out in Nebraska, my wife and I live in a kind of sketchy ghetto place, okay? Uh, not the great, greatest neighborhood. And uh, we had this fire alarm in our, in our house, you know, one of those ones that screws onto the ceiling. And it would go off for everything, okay? Like, I kid you not, I would steam veggies and it would make this fire alarm go off. I would toast some bread and not even burn it, just perfect toast. It would make this fire alarm go off. It was so bad that we got to the point where we would just, and this is not safe, I would not recommend this, we would take it off the ceiling and put it under a pillow so it wouldn't go off. <laughs> Again, not great. So this smoke alarm would see steam and think that's smoke. So we need to react like it's smoke, right? And that's a common thing with trauma, where when you've gone through past difficulties, your brain starts to see this steam as smoke and treating it as such, right? Oh, this thing, this really big thing. So I've got to protect myself. I've got to do something about it. When in reality, it's just steam. And so it makes that perception more difficult. And so you're more likely to perceive normal-ish things or stressful things much bigger than they actually are. And you're gonna have these really intense reactions, right? And so again, that's part of that worldview, it's part of this development, and it's part of some of those um, emotional and psychological effects that trauma can have on us. Another element that I think is key to understand is how trauma or difficult past childhood experiences impact our ability to process our emotions. With people who have experienced childhood trauma, often emotions are just not safe. The, the emotions either made the trauma worse or when they did express emotions, that actually brought the trauma on, you know, that parents or caregivers would punish them for that, right? I remember working with someone who was really horribly physically abused as a child, who if they cried at all during the physical abuse, it would just make it way worse, right? So this person still to this day really has a hard time crying. Like it's almost like their body just, doesn't turn it on because it's not safe, right? Or it doesn't feel safe. And so there's so many ways that that trauma can impact us. And that's more of like, again, that emotional processing side of things, also some of that physical component. But like, if we can't allow ourselves to feel because it's not safe, then we're not gonna be able to process our stuff. And if we can't process our stuff, it compounds and then it creates later issues later on in life, right? But if you've experienced this childhood trauma, right? And you learned or you failed to learn how to process your emotions because of that. Then in adulthood, even though maybe you haven't experienced any trauma since childhood, the fact that you can't process your emotions compounds with the past trauma, which creates this almost like perfect storm to make it just that much harder to deal with day-to-day -day life and stuff apart from your triggers, right? And so this like physiological aspect of trauma and especially the childhood stuff is again, like think about that tear example from the, that client I mentioned just a moment ago. But it also just like, kind of, again, creates that like hyperactive fight or flight sense, like my analogy of the uh, smoke alarm that thought steam was smoke. Um, and it can also lead to this like, well, those things can lead to this like chronic stress that people experience where everything and everyone is a threat or perceived as such. And that the person is doing something about that. A common thing that I hear a lot about in my therapy sessions is hypervigilance, where someone is always aware of what people are doing around them always trying to mitigate and prevent anything that could potentially be threatening in any way, right? And just being on edge like that is exhausting. That's one of the things that I hear a lot from my clients is they tell me, Spencer, I'm so exhausted that I have to deal with this on a day-to-day -day basis, that that's what the trauma does. It creates that hyperactive response, but then makes it so much more likely for someone to be just so stressed out, right? So maybe you can kind of see that in your own life. Let's talk a little bit now about um, how childhood trauma can affect our adult relationships or kind of what that looks like. So let's let's start by kind of our relationship with ourself, if that's okay. So 
everyone's experience is unique, of course. So I'm going to be speaking from some pretty strong generalities here, but I hope that you can find yourself or the people you love within this framework if that's helpful for you. So when we when we think about this childhood trauma, right, that one of the biggest things that I hear a lot of people um, who have dealt with this stuff saying is, what does this say about me? Why did I experience this, right? And there's kind of this belief that people often struggle with of there must be something fundamentally flawed about me that created this in my life, right? That surely I'm not good enough, that I just did stuff bad, that if I was better, if I was quieter, if I was more helpful around the house, if I was fill in the blank, X or Y, Z trauma would not have happened. And so when that's the case, you're not going to view yourself in really very positive ways, right? And then again, because of how this childhood trauma affects the brain and your ability to work through things later in life, this tends to compound itself because if you've had these childhood experiences where you've got the message that I'm not good enough and you believe that, then as you go throughout life and you experience other challenges, it's almost like the brain is looking for proof that that statement is true. So it's like, oh, you get like a C or heck, you fail a test in high school. Uh, your brain's going to look at that and say, there it is again. There's that proof that I'm not good enough, right? And so it can become very pervasive. Also, people tend to just get disconnected from themselves, where they think about, you know, what they've gone through, think about what they've gone through, and maybe their survival strategy was to disconnect, to numb themselves, right? Which is very common with tra trauma. It's called dissociation. And it says disconnect from oneself to not feel the pain. It's very adaptive, very helpful for a lot of people to survive, but very problematic in the long term when you think about the effects of what that can do for our development and stuff. And so because of that disconnect from themselves, they often aren't really well connected to themselves. So just basic things even sometimes like knowing what they like, what they don't like, um, knowing what they're feeling physically, like what feels good to their bodies, what feels bad to their bodies, um, being aware of their emotional experiences as well can be really hard to connect with because the childhood trauma and the way they adapted disconnected them from their bodies, quite literally, right? And so that can be a, a big impact on that individual relationship you have with yourself from that self-esteem, self-worth side of things, but also from that physical body side of things, okay? Now, what about our interpersonal relationships? So I'm in a, I like to describe myself as an attachment-based therapist. And if you Google or look up attachment theory, you'll find all sorts of, I think, great stuff. Um, but basically, it's a science that tells us how we relate to others, okay? And so when you look at trauma, you're never going to develop a secure attachment if you've experienced enough significant childhood adverse experiences, okay? And so that means that you're going to go into one of the three maladaptive attachment styles. You might develop an anxious attachment style, which is, well, as it kind of, it sounds, right, you're very anxious. So you're usually seeking approval from other people. You're constantly on this hypervigilant lookout for other people and, and what they're doing, uh, that kind of thing, right? Um, then there's this avoidant attachment style, which is you actually wanna get distance from others in relationships because they don't feel safe. They don't feel secure, right? And so you're gonna distance yourselves from people. Um, and that maybe feels better than being in relationships with people. And then the third is what's called a disorganized attachment, which I won't get into the nuts and bolts of it, but basically it's like a combination of that anxious attachment and this fearful avoidant attachment um, kind of simultaneously, where someone is going to really want and strive for or long for that connection and be really anxious about that. But then as soon as someone gets too close, they're gonna push them away, right? So it's kind of like this push and pull dynamic. 
um, that can be very confusing for them and very confusing for the relationships that they're in, right, the other person. So that's one element of how childhood trauma can affect someone. Another is trust, okay? Remember how I said that when we experience hard past childhood things, we tend to view the world kind of in, in like a fearful way, like things around us or people around us aren't safe. So that's what this is kind of looking at too, right? If you've experienced childhood trauma, depending on what it is, you might generally not trust a romantic partner or other people, um, but you also might like just not have confidence that you you can let them get close in any way, right? That, and that can be coworkers, that can be friends, that could be anyone, right? Because again, it's just like, well, I just can't trust this because maybe relationships oftentimes are the source of that childhood trauma, right? And from my experience as a couples therapist and trauma therapist, I can tell you that like, in my opinion, the most traumatic experiences we have in life are those that are connected to relationships in some way because they're more complicated to deal with because they impact, well, relationships touch us no matter what we do, right? We can't get away from relationships in that sense, nor should we because we're relational people, right? We can also impact our communication, right? Because think about that fight flight or response that I talked about earlier. When we experience trauma and you're more likely to have that hypervigilance that can kind of take you into that fight or flight place, well, then you become what I would call emotionally compromised. And when you're emotionally compromised, it's really hard to communicate, to talk through what we're feeling and experiencing and just get lost, right? Lost in our feelings, lost in our thoughts and communication will suffer. We're gonna be more reactive in our communication. You might tend to blame people more than giving space for them. So those are some of those things that I kind of see as a therapist. Now, romantic relationships, if we get more specific into that, um, I already kind of talked about trust in that context and like this attachment style and how that might relate to romantic relationships a little bit. But like specifically, some other things to look out for are like, for example, fear of abandonment, right? If you're that person who like clings to relationships because maybe relationships weren't stable in childhood, especially if you experience like a neglect, then that fear of abandonment is going to be very real for you. And you might stay in very unhealthy relationships simply because it feels safer than not being in any relationship at all. Connected to that is this idea of codependency, which codependency is not just being needy. That's not what that is. And in fact, I have all sorts of qualms when people say like, oh, you're needy because, well, that's a whole other podcast episode. But um, codependency is where you lose your sense of self or your sense of identity in a relationship and you can't do basic needs on your own um, without the help of someone else, right? Like being able to go grocery shopping or something like that. Now, of course, there are more extreme and lighter versions of this codependency. But again, the gist of it is you lose your sense of identity and struggle to meet your own needs kind of successfully on your own, okay? And why that may be connected to childhood trauma is because similar to this fear of abandonment, you might have learned that connecting to other relationships is safer than doing it on your own because you don't trust yourself. Kind of getting back to that relationship with ourselves that I was mentioning there a little bit ago. The flip of those two things is emotional unavailability. So basically just emotional distance, right? Because again, oftentimes with these childhood experiences, we learn that relationships aren't safe. And so we try to keep them at a distance, right? We try to not get too close to people by blocking our emotions and not letting people so into that sphere, if you will, because it can feel very vulnerable. And vulnerability is something that we can only really step into if we have safety. And safety is really hard to access if we've gone through adverse things in our childhoods. Now, let's talk about the most important part with all of this, and that's healing from childhood trauma. What does that look like and how do we get there? So the first thing is, is awareness, okay? You've gotta be able to acknowledge that you've gone, so, gone through some hard stuff, okay? As a trauma therapist, I often give the analogy of imagining that you have a backpack and this backpack is filled with rocks 
where the rocks represent the hard things you've gone through in your youth or in your childhood or heck in your life, let's say, right? And you just carry it around with you, right? Sure, you can get strong and learn how to carry it, but the fact remains is that it's going to tax you. It's going to tire you out and you're going to be worn out a lot faster than you would if you didn't have that backpack on at all or if there were some rocks taken out of it, right? And so to acknowledge it means to stop and kind of like take the backpack off and rummage through it a little bit and be like, what is this stuff that I'm still stuck on? One good way to know if you're stuck on something is if the memory or thing you went through in your childhood has what I call emotional baggage, okay? So this is the analogy I like to give. I hope if, you, if you're not watching this, right, you're just listening to this, hopefully you can imagine this, but I'm going to hold up one hand and this represents the experience. And then I'm going to hold my other fist and this represents me, okay? When I hit into this experience, I should be able to process it, which means this hand slides over my arm and becomes a memory back here, okay? I can bring this memory up and think about it. And sure, it might be hard, right? Like uncomfortable to think about, but that's where it ends. For the most part, I'm okay. Now with trauma though, this emotional baggage comes in this sense. I hit into the event, but then this happens. Instead of processing it, this stuff latches onto my fist here, which is me, right? And I, and I carry it around with me. And this carrying it around with me is this emotional baggage, where if something triggers this past stuff, um, like let's say um, I was physically abused as a kid, and someone, you know, does a like a, a kind of a jerky kind of reaction, right? They jerk a little bit. I think they're going to hit me, right? And I flinch. It's going to trigger this, right? Brings that stuff up. This emotional baggage could be that trigger. It could be the emotions that come up, the physical reaction. Um, the emotional baggage includes like how my body reacts. Like, do I get a lump in my chest or a pit in my stomach or stuff like that? Could be images that come up from my past, all sorts of stuff. It's that emotional baggage, right? And if you're aware of that enough, then you can know, okay, yeah, I probably have some stuff I need to work on, some stuff I need to give space for as it relates to my past, okay? So the acknowledging is the first part. Next is understanding it, which you may need help from a therapist, and I would strongly recommend that with childhood trauma because it's often very hard for us to unpack, is being able to say, well, to understand it in the sense of, I get where this is coming from, and I get the impact that it has on my present day and how future things might bring that up. Because then you have like a framework, the past, present, and future of what to work on, right? The past, the actual memory, the present, how it impacts me in the now, and the future, how I worry it's going to come up or things that I feel like I worry about because of what I went through, right? Now, there's lots of different ways that we can heal from past childhood traumas. And what I'm about to share with you is mostly my opinion. So please take it with a grain of salt, but I hope this stuff is helpful for you. So in my opinion, when it comes to healing from childhood trauma or any trauma for that matter, whatever therapy you use needs to include what's called a, a somatic element. Somatic just refers to our body and our physical feelings, okay? And the reason why that's so key is because when we experience trauma, it affects our body and our body stores that in, in ourselves physically. That's why when you think about this past stuff, your body has a physical reaction to it. So the, the trauma therapy needs to be able to access that reaction, bring it up in your body. And then the therapist helps you to basically make sense of that physical reaction and then work through it. Now that's in addition to obviously the thoughts that are connected to the trauma and the emotions that are connected to it as well. Most therapies will address your emotions and your thoughts to some degree or another, right? But not all therapies are really good at addressing the somatic elements or um, do therapists know how to do that, okay? So the... The therapies out there that I'm aware of that have this more somatic or physical element are gonna be just like somatic therapy. 
um, which that's kind of like a big branch of, of therapy that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And then you have other things like EMDR, which is what I'm trained in, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. You have ART therapy, which stands for accelerated reprocessing therapy. Um, you have things like emotionally focused therapy, which is very somatic, right? Because it forces, forces, encourages people to feel their stuff and work through it. Um, those are just to name a few, okay? But we've got to be able to access it, right? Back in the day, the way people process trauma, like what therapists would do, is they would have you come in and recount word, like as much detail as you can in your words, what you went through. And then they would just do that over and over and over and over and over again. This kind of like exposure therapy, right? Well, it's not helpful. <laughs> people would be in therapy for a long time and often wouldn't really ever feel better because you weren't working on the, the underlying elements of why that trauma was even there in the first place, right? Or why it was impactful to you in the first place. And so again, if you're interested in addressing your trauma through therapy, make sure that you're talking with your therapist about are they trained in any somatic forms of therapy? And if so, what that looks like. I'm biased in thinking that EMDR is the gold standard for processing trauma, but there are plenty of other therapies out there that are very effective at processing trauma. My encouragement, do your own research, see what feels best for you, and then talk to a few therapists, see what might be like their recommendations and why, okay? Because everyone has their own opinion. At the end of the day, you need to feel confident that whatever you're choosing to heal from your childhood trauma is gonna fit with your worldview and what you actually need from the therapeutic experience. Now, despite therapy or the, your best intentions, I can tell you that if you don't do what I'm about to share with you, you're probably gonna stay stuck in one way or another for a lot longer than you normally would be if you did what I'm about to share, okay? And it's being able to get and develop supportive relationships with others and developing your own self-care. So let's talk about the self-care thing first. Self-care really is doing anything that brings you true joy and relaxation. Don't think about just self-maintenance, right? If you're just taking a shower and you call in that self-care, like, sure, that might be self-care, but it's mostly self-maintenance. It's day-to-day -day stuff that you need to do to maybe be like a functioning human being. Self-care needs to be deeper than that for it to be really effective in my mind. If all you can do is self-maintenance, great, do that stuff and get really good at it. But when you can, start to develop self-care, like being able to sit under a tree and, and read a book for an hour and truly get lost in it, or go for a hike, or connect with your spirituality in some way, or be with other people, right? Whatever that thing is for you, if it brings you that joy and brings you that deep sense of relaxation, you're on the right track. But what about our relationships? Remember how I said that my opinion is that some of the most traumatic experiences happen in our relationships? Well, in my opinion too, some of the best healing happens in the context of relationships. Because what you're having is a, what I call a corrective emotional experience. If your childhood trauma was most likely connected to relationships, then if you can find healthy relationships in your life now, what that does is it rewires your brain. It tells your brain that here's an exception to what I thought was a rule, that these people care about me, or this person cares about me, or this person is safe, right? And I can't understate how important, I can't overstate, I should say, how important that is to healing because you need to have those exceptions. You need to be able to feel those things and connect to those things. So obviously this podcast is not gonna have enough time to really talk about all the ways we can heal, but I hope that some of these things have been helpful. Before I conclude, I wanna just give some space for a, a brief exercise, if you will, to help ground us a little bit, help you leave here feeling a little bit more relaxed if that's okay. Now, again, do this in a safe environment. So if you're driving, please just postpone this till when you can be not driving. Um, but I want to invite you to close your eyes, if that feels okay. And take a moment to just imagine a place that for you embodies a really peaceful feeling. And as you think of that place, 
step into it. Allow yourself a moment to notice some of the physical aspects of this place to help make it very vivid and real for you right now. For example, try noticing at least five things that you can see in this place of yours. Try noticing at least four things that you can physically feel in this place. Next, try to notice at least three things that you can hear in your safe place, this peaceful place. Try to notice two things that you can smell in this peaceful place. And try to even notice one thing you can taste in this place. Hopefully that's helped to make it vivid. Now, as you continue in this visual, I wanna invite you to just notice your breath. Don't force it to change or anything, but I invite you to notice as you breathe in, to breathe in the peace that comes from being in this place of yours. And then as you breathe out, you're letting go of tension, pressure, any of that. You need to take a moment to just briefly pause the podcast and spend as much time here as you need. Wrap this visual up. I want to encourage you to just take in one more solid deep breath. And with that out breath, allow yourself to gently open your eyes and become familiar with the room again where you're at or the space where you're at. Take that memory of this place and log it in your mind and give yourself space to go there more as you need. And if the place you imagine is a place you can actually go to on a regular basis, I would encourage you to spend more time there. Let yourself feel that peace. I bet it will help. So in conclusion, I hope that from this, you've learned that childhood trauma is a very real and serious thing. But more importantly, I hope that you realize that no matter what you've gone through in your past, there's gonna be a path forward. Sure, you might need some help and support along the way from a trained professional like a therapist. And get that help. But just deal with this on your own. You shouldn't have to. You've dealt with too many things on your own for too long. Get the help you need. It's not a sign of weakness to acknowledge this stuff. It's a sign of strength because you're giving space for your pain and choosing to intentionally heal from it. I want to thank you for just stepping into this place with me. I want to honor your experiences and honor your past pain if there's been any. And let you know that, again, there's a place for your healing. I sincerely hope that you can find that and I'll send you with that. Thanks again for joining us on today's podcast. Until next time. Hi, it's Chelsea again. Thank you for listening to the Puzzle of Us podcast. And wow, so much great information in there about childhood trauma and the impacts on your lives and therapy. Um, I hope that you found it helpful. Again, if you have any questions, please reach out to me at chelsea at cvcounselingservices.com 
Also as well, find any of the show notes, um, things in the show notes for information on our guest host, as well as any information that they have provided in the, the training as well. So please look for those and reach out to us if you have any questions and we'll catch you next week.